listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. <laughs> it's a hymn sing with Sarah episode today. Um, I'm so excited because it's Lent and it's hymns. I was going to ask, are you just so happy right now, Sarah? <sighs> I'm so happy. Um, and this is actually kind of going to be a bit of a two-parter because uh, this episode is diving into the hymns in general, and uh, some really in-depth stuff on a couple of them. And then in a couple of weeks later in Lent, we'll have the actual sung version uh, with a group. And I think that's going to actually drop on Good Friday. So you'll have some nice contemplative, Mm -hmm. maybe, uh, music on Good Friday to listen to. So a bit of a two-parter-ish, kind of. So there won't be music tacked on at the end of this one. Sorry. But it'll come later. So this is Lenten Hymn Sing. This is like one of my favorite times of the year for hymns. There are so many good ones. I think there were like 42 options, I think, in the in the Facebook poll that I put out. Yeah, 42 options. Granted, not all of them were actual hymns from the Lent section of the hymnal. I think there's 37 or so in the Lent section. Um, but before I even get into stuff, I wanted to give a shout out to Concordia Publishing House and the Hymnal Companion. If you don't have a Hymnal Companion yet, you you for real need to go get one. I know they're not cheap, but it's totally worth the price uh, to get these books. One of the books is all of the texts and the tunes. It's gigantic. And then the other book is all of the people, um, the, the tune and, uh, and text writers. There's so much information in these. You can spend like weeks upon weeks. And there was a comment from, I may butcher your name, Jury Raugut. Hopefully that wasn't terrible. She said, the hymnal companion is awesome. We have the congregational copy sitting on a table in the narthex open to one of the hymns of the day. After mm. service, I see several members stop and read over it. I need to find a more formal way to display it. What a wealth of knowledge. Which I thought was a fantastic idea for congregations. So if your pastor has yeah. one, ask if you can lay it out in the narthex or somewhere and uh, have it open to the hymn of the day for Sunday so that everyone can read out of it. I think hmm. that was a great, great idea. That's cool. I put a poll up in the Facebook group. This time I did not ask you to choose one because obviously that's impossible for pretty much everybody. And some people still complain that I was making you choose it all, so I'm sorry. <laughs> but I had to get some information. And so people were picking their favorites. There was, There's a ton of, I don't know, like 90-some comments or something on this poll on Facebook. And some of the things uh, that I noticed when I was reading through uh, and and looking at the results from the poll, that our favorites are, they tend to be driven by emotions and memories. I think nearly all of our, uh, all of the comments on the page, people had stories about when they were kids, or you know when when somebody passed away and they sang a Lenten hymn, or you know this is the one that their grandparents used to sing to them, or D and loving to sing hymns at the top of her voice on her lawnmower, which I thought was fantastic. <laughs> so good for you, D. <laughs> yes, D. My favorite comment on all of on the whole thing. <laughs> um, and I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. You know, all of the Lenten hymns in our hymnal, they all have great texts. You know, they all point you to Christ. They all point you to suffering and death for our sins. Um, and so a lot of times we do connect to them emotionally just because of, of whatever connects us to those hymns. You know, a lot of mine are from my own childhood. I grew up with a Traore service 
on Good Friday. And it was pretty much the same service every, I mean, we would sing the same hymns probably every year. So my favorites I was recognizing when I actually went through and did the poll myself, which was really hard. Um, When I went through it and did the poll, a lot of the ones that I was picking, I remember are ones that I used to sing on Good Friday with in my own church. And so it's the same thing for me that a lot of the ones that are my favorites are the ones that I've been singing for the last you know, 30 years of my life. So of course they're probably going to be my favorites because they're the ones that are, they're the ones that are stuck in my brain and I can, you know, recite the stanzas without having to look at the hymnal. And Lent and Easter, it's also a time of the year in the church when we have heightened emotions anyway, because during the season of Lent, we're, you know, we're, we're meditating on, on Christ's suffering and maybe we've given something up for Lent. So we're already in this weird state of, of self-control and, and aware of ourselves a little bit more building up to, you know, Easter vigil, which is my favorite service of the year. It's fantastic. Easter vigil. Sorry. I get really excited about it. <laughs> I love when you just nerd out, dude. It's my favorite. If you have a church near you with an Easter vigil, go. It is so worth it. Anyway, Easter vigil and and Easter morning building up to the the joy that we have on Easter morning. So we're already in this this state of of heightened emotions during Lent. And the other thing that that I found interesting just about my own favorites was a lot of them aren't actually in the Lent section of the hymnal. They're in the Holy Week. Mm. section of the hymnal because they're the ones that we sing mm. on Good Friday. Mm-hmm. And I think that is because they tend to be the ones with even more graphic writing yes. um, and the words like hit you like a ton of bricks. Like these these are no holds barred kind of hymn texts. Like yeah. you are getting hit over the head it's with love. It's not warm, soft, fluffy. No, not at all. Mm-hmm. And I think... And I don't know if that's that's a universal thing. I don't know if you guys are like this, but I tend to gravitate towards the hymns that just... I mean, they they lay it out there. I, I think that's why good, like Good I Friday hymns are my favorite hymns. Yeah, mm-hmm. nothing's hidden. It is laid out. Yep. Another thing I noticed, I, I allowed people to add their own hymns because, of course, I can't like you know just give you the hymns that I think you guys should pick from. So <laughs> a lot of people were adding hymns that aren't in the Lent section of the hymnal, which I found really intriguing. I don't know if I sing a lot of hymns outside of the Lent section of the hymnal. Maybe I, I'm going to pay attention to that. This year, because I, I don't think I've ever paid attention to that. But um, like 543, What Wondrous Love Is This, which I love that hymn. 547, The Lamb. 629, What Is This Bread, uh, which is by the Bowies, which are wonderful people. Mm-hmm. 542, When I Behold Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful Ethiopian one. So there's, uh, you know, there's there's hymns from the rest of the hymnal that we also sing during Lent. And just... Uh, I was trying to pick my favorite one going through there, and I kept thinking of these of of just like single stanzas in all of these hymns that just they pop out in my head. Um, because when we go through Lent, I I almost treat those as little prayers when we get to them, because a single stanza has has it all wrapped up with a nice bow on top. So the other thing about all of these uh, that I was noticing is that all of these these hymns in our hymnal. And in the Lent section specifically, too, they span hundreds of years, which mm. if you think about it is a little mind blowing mm-hmm. that we're singing the music of the church, you know, that was written 10 years ago. Well, 20 now with the hymnal. But that also goes back to, you know, the 500s, which is crazy and also mm-hmm. awesome. Like we're singing the same things during Lent that it's possible that our brothers and sisters in Christ hundreds of years ago were also singing 
which is literally giving me goosebumps mm-hmm. right now. That so crazy. Yeah. And there's like 554, Sing My Tongue, The Glorious Battle, and fa- uh, 455, The Royal Banners Forward Go, uh, written by Venantius Honorius, Honorius? Honorius Fortunatus. There it is. We'll just call him Fortunatus. Uh, he lived 530 to 609. Super cool. And and then we have uh, 445 when you woke that Thursday morning by Yaroslav Vida, who was born in 1919. So, I mean, you have this this wonderful span of hymns. And then Paul Gerhardt. I actually get to talk about Paul Gerhardt today, so I'm super excited about that. You love him. He's my favorite. <laughs> um, he has three just in the Lent section. So so does Isaac Watts. He has three. So there's there's also hymn writers that just wrote a ton of hymns, and we get to sing a bunch of them during Lent, too. So... I want to know what your favorites are. Super fast. Elevator elevator speech version of, of your favorite hymns. Brie, go. Go to Dark Gethsemane. Oh, that's it a good one. It is 436 in the LSB, and I'm just going to touch real quick on why it's my yeah, favorite. Yeah, do it. So in high school, I was in the uh, choir, and we went on a spring break choir tour, as many Lutheran choirs do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this was my junior year. We did a rendition of this. It wasn't directly out of the hymnal. It was an arrangement. And Mm -hmm. I I couldn't tell you who did it or when or whatever. Um, But I just remember the setting. We did verse three and the uh, lines three and four. God's own sacrifice complete. It is finished. Hear him cry. Like I just remember Mm -hmm. it was set up in such a way that. It is finished. Hear him cry. It was like it built up to almost it was like double F's, man. It was like so loud and so much emotion. And just after you after we finished that song, it was like I was like exhausted. Like I was spent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I just think of that and and, you know, all of the emotion and all of the anguish and all of the pain that you know, was invested in that song, obviously pales in comparison to what actually Jesus went through right? Um, being flogged and hung on the cross. But like, that's that's the kind of visceral feeling that mm-hmm. I think helps me on Good Friday. And that's why I love that hymn. My, probably my all-time favorite Lenten hymn is Oh Dearest Jesus. Mm. And... Uh, in particular, it's the, it's even just like this one fragment of a verse <laughs> right. that does yeah. me in, similar to you. Um, and it's, the shepherd dies for sheep who love to wander. Mm-hmm. And I think that concept of this bizarre contrast of things, mm-hmm. uh, that's actually, that happens in a number of my my favorites. So also... What is this bread mm-hmm. um, with, oh, who am I that I should live and he should die under mm-hmm. the rod? My God, my God, why have you not forsaken me? Uh, and then also in My Song is Love Unknown with a murderer they save, the prince of life they slay, a murderer they sa- they save. Uh, these these concepts of these like these bizarre contrasts. Mm-hmm. Why, why would it be this way? And yet it is. Mm-hmm. And it just, those... Those lines always just, I don't know, they always just pierce me whenever I get to mm, get yeah. to those um, the lines in the hymns. Well, and we get them um, over and over and over in, yeah. in like n- probably a majority of our Lenten hymns because that is literally what we're singing about for this entire mm-hmm. season. 
So much like my fashion choices, my favorite Lenten hymn isn't quite as high drama as Aaron and Breeze. It's beige. Um, Not all the blood of beasts. Hey, I like that one. (laughs) No, I was like, that's dramatic. Of course you do. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's very dramatic. Sorry. Um, And I love all the hymns that have been mentioned so far, by the way. So this isn't to take away from them in general. But the one that I am very much the fondest of is In the Cross of Christ I Glory, um, which is a hymn that I stumbled upon in a big way. Like, it hit me. Just as I was really beginning to understand the theology of the cross. Mm. And so, you know, this was a number of years ago, but just at a season in my life where I was coming to grips with Christianity is about Christ crucified and resurrected for the forgiveness of sins. That's it. And then this song reentered my life and this this says it, this does it, you know, again, Mm. simply, plainly, but also very poetically. I love the opening lines in the cross of Christ, I glory towering o'er the wrecks of time Mm -hmm. and then that last the last verse of it is just such a wonderful uh text to take with you through life bane and blessing pain and pleasure by the cross are sanctified peace is there that knows no measure joys that through all time abide again plain simple poetic but not high drama and yet it just gets at it this is at the center of the christian life is a cross not my cross, his cross, which is my cross because I'm in him and that's it. Mm-hmm. That's the point. So I, I really love, really love that hymn and I hope I get to sing it this Lent. <laughs> I also have like favorite snippets of of hymns. I have like a favorite, I think I have a favorite, well, at least this year for this Lenten season, I have a favorite hymn. <laughs> uh, we'll see if it's different next year. But then there's all these other hymns uh, that, that I also have these like snippets of verses that stick in my head. Um, one of them is 440, Jesus I Will Ponder Now. And verse five, I love the whole of verse five. If my sins give me alarm and my conscience grieve me, let your cross my fear disarm. Peace of conscience give me. Help me see forgiveness won by your holy passion. And this is the line that gets me. If for me God slays his son, God must have compassion. Mm. Oh, yeah. It hits you. Yep. <laughs> it just hits you. Yeah. And then uh, another one, I'll move on after this, I promise. <laughs> 438, a lamb goes on complaining forth. This one, when I was at Concordia in Capella, we recorded, I believe we recorded this hymn. And one of the guys in our choir, uh, he actually sang. So the whole choir sang uh, the the parts of the of the hymn that aren't in quotations. And then one of our guys who had a wonderful voice, uh, he actually sang the parts in quotations that is supposedly Jesus's words. And so when we were singing it like that uh, in Capella, I mean, that I I would probably I remember being like overcome by emotion, hearing these words instead of singing them myself. And there's one line. Oh, wondrous love, what have you done? The father offers up his son, desiring our salvation. Oh, love, how strong you are to save. You lay the one into the grave who built the earth's foundation. Mm. Well, bam. It's so good. Okay. There's a lot of favorites in the group, but the one that came out on top, at least at the time of this recording, is 430, My Song is Love Unknown. And when I said that before we started recording, you guys all were like, yeah! So, <laughs> I mean, this we is... can do it again if you want. <laughs> yes! yes! I wasn't expecting this one to be on top. This isn't 
typically one of my like super top favorites. It's somewhere in the middle of my mm-hmm. favorites list. But then I reread it and it's 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 really good. So this hymn uh, was written by Samuel Crossman who lived uh, 1625 to 1684 in England, where he was an Anglican clergyman, late 1600s into the 1700s. And if you think about that time period in the context, the larger context of European English religious history, uh, this is, you know, just not too far post-Reformation. Um, a lot of a lot of stuff happening in the Anglican church. Just a ton of history there. If you're interested in church history, you should go read about it in the 15, 16, 1700s. So he was baptized September 28th, 1625 in Suffolk, England, where his father was vicar. He received his bachelor's from Pembroke College, Cambridge in 1645 and his master's from there as well in 1651. He was ordained in the Presbyterian Church and was a pastor during the Civil War and the restoration of Charles II. Before the restoration... English Civil War, right? Yes. Not our Civil War. Okay. Not we weren't a country Civil yet. <laughs> our Civil War is a better one. I know, but you know, we we Americans like to think that every Civil War is all about us. I'm going to be honest, I had so, no idea there was an English Civil War. <laughs> I didn't either, uh, so I need to go look that up. I, I should also back up and say this is all from the Hymnal Companion. So, oh. And I am not giving you everything that was in there because that would, you know, just not be cool. So also it would take us three hours to record this. Um so if you if this is interesting stuff, go find a hymnal companion and read about all the stuff that I'm not actually telling you because I can't fit it all in. <laughs> so before the restoration of Charles II, Crossman was the vicar of a few churches in Suffolk and Essex. And after the restoration, when the Act of Uniformity, go Google it if you don't know what that is, mm-hmm. said all ministers had to be ordained in the Episcopal Church and conform to the newly revised Book of Common Prayer. Hopefully that's a familiar term to a lot of people. Crossman became a non-conforming minister and was put in prison in November 1919. Wow. Wow. 1662. 300 years, dude. <laughs> he later conformed and he was Episcopally ordained on October 28th, 1665. He became chaplain to the king, which is, uh, I want to know how that happened, actually, mm. and appointed vicar of St. Nicholas, Bristol on December 30th, 1667. He was appointed dean of Bristol on May 24th, 1683, and died on February 4th, 1684. So, like I said, he served during... Oh, man. Could we, like, have more history? Like, there's a story there. In five years, he went from in jail for being the uh-huh. wrong kind of pastor to chaplain <laughs> to the king. Uh-huh. I know. I, I want to know this story. And and this his <laughs> that part of the story isn't in the Hymnal Supplement or Hymnal Companion. So you will actually have to like go find some books or talk to right. people who know that history. And we actually, I actually know a few of those people. So now I'm going to have to go talk to them. Go do it. <laughs> um, but yeah, there is... There is definitely a story there. And I've read some historical fiction from this time period, which isn't, of course, you know, a history book. But... Just the the t- the Church of England at this time is just it's it's crazy. Anyway, this was obviously a very controversial time in church history. So he had been or Bristol had a large dissenting population. So he had a difficult task as a conforming clergyman. Tension between Charles II and Parliament made the relationship between the dissenters and the conformers even more difficult. And Crossman's work during this time period uh, really showed that he all he wanted was peace between these two pe- these these two sides of the church. He wanted them all to come together and be one church. 
He based his poem, My Song is Love Unknown, on George Herbert, who lived after our Lutheran Reformation. He might be the greatest devotional poet of all time. If you're into devotional poetry and you haven't read his stuff, go read his stuff. All time. It is fantastic. I've sung. I will not argue with you on that. I think that is a solid statement. Yeah, I've sung some <laughs> of his poems too, and they are fantastic. So, uh, highly, highly recommend. Five stars. The poem "My Song Is Love Unknown" was first published in 1664 in Crossman's collection, "The Young Man's Meditation." This volume of nine poems follows the death of Christ, the Christian life, the Last Judgment, the resurrection of the body, and heaven. These poems are similar to Herbert's, although not quite as complex. Crossman borrows a few lines, like Love Unknown and Never Was Grief Like Thine, from Herbert's poem Love Unknown. This poem of Herbert's refers back to the reproaches in the Catholic liturgy for Good Friday, so it's really appropriate to sing this poem of Crossman's during Lent as a return to that ancient liturgical tradition. And side note, if you don't know the reproaches or you haven't sung them in your Good Friday service, go find them in, I don't know what book they're actually in. Go ask your pastor or your, your director of music at your church to show you the reproaches and sing through them. They, they're they incredible. And it's a great moment in the chief service on Good Friday. Also, one of my childhood memories, which is why I'm probably attached to them so much. But anyway, <laughs> Crossman's reference to Christ's love unknown is obviously to us on the cross. This love is unknown because it is beyond our human comprehension. The text is very personal. Jesus died for you. And that is very obvious in this hymn, which may be why it's it's a favorite for a lot of people. So I love this part about the tune. Uh, the tune is by John Ireland, who lived 1879 to 1962. So he set this to music uh, well after Samuel Crossman lived. Samuel Crossman's book was rediscovered by St. Daniel Sedgwick, who reprinted it in 1863. And while four stanzas of My Song is Love Unknown were used with a different tune in the Anglican hymn book in 1868, the tune we now know was requested by Jeffrey Shaw for the public school hymn book, which is a curious title, and I really want to know yep. what that book was used for, in 1919. Uh, and it took John Ireland... 15 minutes to write this tune on a piece of scrap paper. There you have it. Mm, like, wow. <laughs> like, oh, I need to write a tune. Here you go. No big deal. So I had it on the snapkin already. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's my song is Love Unknown. There's so much more I could talk about, but I I can't because I'm going to run out of time, I just, guys. I want to go back for a moment <laughs> and say, you know, to speak into your surprise that this was the top of the poll. Of course it was. It's so gorgeous. <laughs> if there's a reason, if there's a exactly. reason we don't sing it more, it's because it's such an emotional and physical mm -hmm. marathon of a hymn. And I dare you to try and figure out which verses you could cut out. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. You start my song as love unknown. You are in it until the end. Commit. You will be weeping. You will be shudder. You know, it's yeah. like you you get to the end and you're like, oh, I'm tired. Let's go home now. So that that's perhaps why it didn't. Um, it, it isn't sung every Sunday. No. Um, because it's you you gotta just get through it if you if you start it. But wow, it's a it's a journey of a hymn. The second favorite hymn was stricken, smitten, and afflicted, which. Mm. Also a great one. Probably also somewhere on my favorites list. I don't know. Side note here. Some family friends once sent out their, their annual Christmas newsletter. And in it, they used that 
him title to describe <gasps> how their daughter fell in love and is now <laughs> married. <laughs> she was stricken, smitten, and afflicted. Oh, dang. <laughs> oh, that's good. But well, there's not a lot more Lutheran I... than that. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yikes on a dozen bikes. Uh, I keep waiting for someone to name their kids or their dogs or something, you know, like stricken Fantastic. That would be great. Mm. That would be great. That was number two in the poll, but I did not choose to talk about that one. You guys can go research that one on your own. Um, because I had an ulterior motive, uh, because the third one in the poll was 449-450, Oh Sacred Head Now Wounded, which is a Paul Gerhardt. So this is my excuse. This is my excuse, y'all, to talk about Paul Gerhardt, and I took it. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Also because uh, I will also hopefully get to 453 upon the cross extended, which at least for this season of Lent, is my favorite. It might be different next year, and that's fine. But that's also Paul Gerhardt. So we're going to do two birds and one stone and get two Gerhardt hymns in this. Because why not? This is my segment. (laughs) I'm excited to hear you talk about Paul Gerhardt because I feel like it's someone that a lot of people in the Lutheran Church are very much like you. They're like, ooh, Paul Gerhardt, I love him so much. And everyone else is going, who's Paul Gerhardt? Who? Yeah. Who? So let's clear up some of the confusion. Who is Paul Gerhardt? <laughs> I only, and why do we care? I only have three paragraphs on him. There is a lot more in the hymnal companion, but I couldn't I couldn't read it. So here, I, I get I get to talk about Paul Gerhardt. This is really fantastic. So he has 123 hymns uh in the in our hymnal in the Lutheran service book. Fourteen of them are on the Passion of Christ. Pretty good number. Um and I think why I like them, they usually describe in pretty graphic detail the suffering and death of Christ. I, I'm drawn to that. A very stark language. Only Martin Luther outnumbered him in German hymn books. I misspoke. We don't have 123 of his hymns. I was going to call you on that. I, I'm like, I'm he wrote. Sure I, sorry, no. I was determined not to call her because I was like, this is the hymn nerd. I had no idea. He okay. has 123 hymns. 17 of those are in our Lutheran ah, service book, and 14, 14 are, of his okay, total. Right. <laughs> Got it. Are on the Passion of Christ. Okay. I am sorry. I got so excited. I read so my notes excited. wrong. <laughs> okay. Carry 17 on. of his hymns are on the Lutheran service book. Sorry. Continuing. Gerhardt was born in Grafenheichen. Grafenheichen. There we go. Saxony on March 12th, 1607. Uh, And this is a time that the Holy Roman Empire was still in Germany and plagued by confessional conflicts. If we think about this time in uh, German Lutheran history, um, you know, just not not too not too far after Martin Luther. So this is this is a time of a lot of uh, confessional Lutheran conflict. And it affected his own family who held steadfast to the Book of Concord. And that does affect his hymn writing uh, into his adulthood. He went to school originally in Grafenheich. Oh man, I put this word in my notes multiple times, knowing I would have it. to say it, you and I still did it. it. Grafenheinichen, <laughs> but was soon sponsored to attend the Royal Academy at Grimma, and that's where he began to develop his poetic skills as he read Latin classical poetry and studied hymns and songs. He graduated from Grimma in 1627 and continued to study at the University of Wittenberg. Ding, 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 where he was taught by professors who tenaciously held to the Lutheran confessions. So that more than likely shaped uh, the the text writing, the hymn writing uh, that he was doing at this point and continued to do. 
So this was the time of the Thirty Years' War. And if you know anything about Gerhardt, you probably know that he lived during the Thirty Years' War. Um, and that also influenced a lot of his hymn writing. So the uh, Thirty Years' War was 1618 to 1648. And this war hit Gerhardt very hard. He experienced a lot of tragedy uh, from this point forward in his life. His hometown was completely destroyed, including his his uh, childhood home, his childhood church. Everything was completely gone. So he stayed in Wittenberg until 1642 when he went to Berlin. Uh, there he began to really write his poetry. And he met Johann Kruger, who was the cantor of St. Nikolai in Berlin. And Kruger put his texts to music and published them in 1647 in Praxis Pietatis Melica. And Kruger was really the one who who saw his talent and really got his name out. Without Kruger, we may not have known as many of his hymns as we do now, hmm. uh, but because of his backing and because of, of him seeing Gerhardt's talent, he, and he published these hymns. Uh, in 1649, Gerhardt was finally called to a parish in Mittenwald, so he had not received a call to any parish at this point uh, because of the war. Uh, there was just so much devastation that, that there was nowhere else for him to go at this point. So this is when he married Anna Maria Bartold and continued to write hymns. He returned to Berlin in 1657 to be the senior pastor at St. Nikolai. Uh, he was dismissed from there in 1666 because he refused to disavow his confessional Lutheran heritage and assimilate into the Calvinist Lutheran way. So... He was basically kicked out because he wouldn't recant his Lutheran confessional Lutheran views. So there's another thing that was not great in his life. Um, and after that point, he also lost his wife and he lost four of his five children. So he experienced so much tragedy and sorrow in his life. And you really see that come through in the texts that he writes and maybe yeah. why why there's... a. a an emotional connection, I don't know, to a lot of his hymn writing. At the After that point, he received a call to Lubin, and he served in Lubin until he died May 27, 17, 1676. There is the short version hmm. of Gerhardt. Mm. There's a lot more out there. So, so this is a man who, uh, for the last part of his life, pretty much had nothing left but Jesus. Pretty much. Is that what I'm... Yeah. Getting, yeah. Yep. And that, I think, does definitely come through in the poetry. It does. It does. Um, Reliance on Christ alone is is about it. All right. I'm going to fly through these last two because otherwise this is going to be an hour episode. 449, 450. That was number three in the group. It is also one of my favorites. It's very old. So the original Latin text, if you look in the hymnal, it says it's attributed to Bernard of Clairvaux, who died 1090, who lived 1090 to 1153 um, until the early 20th century. Um, it's actually a hymn cycle. The original Latin was a hymn cycle. So it's, it's a hymn of hymns and each stanza of the hymn, it would speak about a different part of Jesus. So it would speak about the feet, the knees, hands, side, breast, heart, and face of Christ on the cross. I never knew that. Hmm. I didn't either because, because it's the Latin version. It's not actually in the English. Mm. That's why. I thought that was fascinating, though. Paul Gerhardt took these Latin texts, loosely translated them into German, and then James Waddell, Alexander, and August 
Cruel and an unidentified translator translated the Gerhardt texts into English for the Christian Liar in 1830 and Hymn Book for the Use of Evangelical Lutheran Schools and Congregations. That is a long title in 1879. And if you look in the <laughs> Hymnal Companion, you'll you'll see what happened with the texts. Um, why it's not obvious to us that each that each uh, verse is a a body part, I guess, uh, because of the the way that they were translated from Latin to. German to English and the way that verses have kind of gotten mashed together. Uh, we don't have that clear distinction in our, in our English version. Um, so I really want to go read the original Latin. I think that would be really cool. The controversy about whether or not Bernard of Clairvaux wrote these hymns is pretty complex. You can read the whole thing in the Hymnal Companion. Um, I had to read it like four times to understand what was going on. Long story short, we thought it was Bernard because manuscripts in the 15th century uh, attribute the hymn cycle to him. But Catholic hymn scholar F.J. Moan said in 1853 that no manuscripts from Bernard's time existed with his writing. So in 1909, a book included a transcription of the text from an unknown manuscript from 1320, and the text cites Arnulf of Leuven as the author. And remember, Clairvaux lived, what, 1090 to 1153, so this is like, what, 200 years after. Arnulf uh, lived 1200 to 1251-ish. Uh, he was abbot of the Cistercian Abbey of Villers in present-day Belgium. Earliest sources have only five hymns, probably Arnulf and not including the stanzas for the heart and the breast. Those were added later, probably so it could be used during Holy Week, so you'd have seven of them. You could sing one each day. A revised edition from the 15th century is the one that Paul Gerhardt would have known and is a source for the English hymn. So that's how that all comes together for the text. The tune was composed by Hans Leo Hostler, first appearing in 1601, and LSB has two forms of the tune. So if, if you've looked in your hymnal, it's 449 and 450. Uh, 450 is the original rhythmic version, so it's the much older version. 449 is the isorhythmic version, which developed later, probably because of the slowing down of congregational singing tempos during the 17th and 18th century. Ask your director of music or your, your favorite music nerd about that, because there's actually some really interesting history having to do with singing and architecture and instruments and everything. But anyway, the isorhythmic version is by Bach. So, of course, it's amazing. Uh, Bach's arrangement is from the St. Matthew Passion BWV 244, first performed in 1727 and 1729. Uh, fun fact, I actually prefer the original rhythmic version. I mean, I love Bach's, but uh, I actually prefer the rhythmic version because it feels more contemplative and I really like the tenor line, and it's fun to sing it in parts. But both are great, I'm, obviously. I'm actually with you on that. I prefer the rhythmic version of this and actually of uh, A Mighty Fortress, which I know some people are not crazy about. But I I love Bach, but I, do, I think he went a little overboard in trying to make every single thing he wrote super neat and tidy. <laughs> and I like the messier, rhythmic, syncopated, dancey, ver you know. Yeah, not it's that, fun to dance Not to that them. Bach doesn't dance, but... You know what I mean. In his corrals, he does mm -hmm. sort of, you know, make things nice and neat around the edges. That's true. And maybe the originals weren't weren't as neat. Yeah, I really want to know. I I need to dig. I need to ask my husband more about the congregational singing part because there is some very interesting history behind all of the 
the speeds of congregational singing. If you're into that kind of thing and nerdy about it, it's actually really interesting. Anyway, I need to wrap this up. So three paragraphs on what is my favorite for this Lenten season upon the cross extended another Gerhardt. So it's a great descriptive text focuses on the passion of Christ and his redemptive work first appeared in Johann Kruger's compilation of Gerhardt's work, Praxis Pietatis Milica in 1647. This is the hymn of the day for Tuesday of Holy Week. And also... <laughs> What? It is! I laugh because Tuesday of Holy Week is like one of the only days in Holy Week where you don't go to church. But you can so still sing this hymn at home because it's the hymn of the day. That's why I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's also useful on Good Friday and during Lent. Him so there. The translation is attributed to John Kelly in 1867. So that's what, 200 years later, we get it into English. So the interesting part about this is actually the tune. Um, I mean, I love the text, but the interesting part to tell you all about is the tune, O Welt ich, mi, ich muss dich lassen, uh, which is also used for Lutheran Service Book 396, Arise and Shine in Splendor, which, fun fact, is one of my favorite epiphany hymns, too. The settings are also different between the two. If you want to look at those two, the settings are different. They give the hymns a different feel. So this tune was popular in 16th century Germany, generally set to the text of Innsbruck, ich muss dich lassen, or Innsbruck, I must leave you. It's about a guy being sad because he has to leave Innsbruck, which is in Austria, because he's leaving his girl behind and he's pledging his faithfulness to her and asks God to watch over her. So this is like a 16th century pop song, pretty much. <laughs> Can I just say that German pop music has come a long way in 400 years? <laughs> Kind of great. I'm pretty sure I laughed out loud when I was reading that. Whether it's progressed or digressed remains to be seen. So there's also a lot of super nerdy stuff about this tune and all of this. I can't I didn't even read it because I didn't understand it. Lots of big words. So if you're really into musical settings, you should read about it in the companion. Uh, there's there's way more information and I couldn't even like translate it into normal person English because I I couldn't even understand it. So it's it's not totally clear who wrote the tune originally, um, because it's a medieval German tune, a lot of times they just weren't written down. It's attributed to Heinrich Isak, who lived 1450 to 1517. May or may not have been him. Earliest printed sacred song with this tune is from 1581. So it's a very old tune. And it's with my this season of Lent's favorite hymn, Upon the Cross Extended. So mm -hmm. there you go. That is all I have. Those are all of my notes. So any last comments, ladies, before I really need to stop this recording? Because it's been a long time. <laughs> Lent is okay, one more com my favorite one comment. time and, for singing. Well, that's the irony. We always think of... I think of Christmas and Easter as being the season, the great musical seasons of the church. I mean, those are when we have the concerts and the caroling and all mm -hmm. of that. But so I, I have not traditionally thought of him Lent as this musically rich time of year. Mm. But I think I'm now a convert. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of good music, and it's not it's not like the the happy joyful stuff that we get during Christmas and during Easter. It's great in a very different way because of the difference in the texts and what the texts are telling us. I mean, it's it's not going to, well, it might leave you happy, actually, uh, because a lot of these do have a lot of a lot of gospel in them because of when we sing them in the church year and they all point us to the suffering and death of Christ, which uh, is a great thing for us to be meditating on. So if, if you're a hymn nerd like me and uh, you you listen to this and you want more, that's awesome. Um, there's always hymnery.org if you can't 
uh, afford a hymnal companion or you don't know someone that has one, you can always research stuff on hymnary.org. It's an awesome place. It has so much stuff about like every hymnal you can possibly imagine too. Um, otherwise, thanks to CPH and their awesome work with the hymnal companion. This is like life changing for all of my hymn sing with Sarah segments. So I'm just gonna go Yay. like read it. I said I posted on <laughs> Facebook that I, I need to take a sabbatical just to like read the whole thing because there's so much <laughs> in it. So. Join the Facebook group, ladies. There's the poll there still with uh, all of the favorite London hymns. Share your favorite London hymns. Snap some pictures of, of what you're singing on uh, on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, and uh, share with us what you love about your favorite hymns. Uh, you can find all of our episodes at kfuo.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge or on your favorite podcasting app, of course, and share us with your friends. You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Aaron. I'm going to get me a hymnal companion. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Rachel. Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies' Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Join our community on Facebook in the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge. I also brought the hymnal companion in case I needed to reference it. It's huge. I made a separate trip up to the studio. Just to bring is the that your, like, <laughs> Is that your new Snuggie that you sleep with? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's my lovey. It's really hard and boxy, though, so it doesn't work. <laughs>